Morning, ZPC. You know, uh, oftentimes around fall break time, I wonder, am I the only lame person who is still in town? And it's so good to know that there are other ones uh, that are here. So thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. That was subtle. Did you catch it? No? No, Scott got it. Good. All right. It is good to be here this morning with you all, and for whomever is here, it is a blessing to us. And so uh, we are continuing in our uh, series on True North, and this week we are uh, looking at the sacraments. And, uh, and so to do that, we're going to use a couple different texts in 1 Corinthians. And so I invite you to uh, hear uh, these words from Paul. It comes from chapter 11, verses 17 through 26, six, and then from the 12th chapter, verses 12 and 13. Our uh, screens uh, are not working right now, and so you are going to have to do Either you have your own Bible or you have a phone, or you will have to do what the ancient church did, which was simply listen. Now, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then from the 12th chapter, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jew or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we come to you this morning in grateful praise for the ways in which we see you at work all around us. For the ways in which we see you in creation, the ways in which we see you in relationship with one another. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we talk about these sacraments, that you would perhaps open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to something new today so that in going forward, we might experience you in richer and deeper ways. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So, I'm not entirely sure what you think about when it comes to the sacraments, but I know that when I was growing up, when I thought about the sacraments, it did not give me a good 
feeling. In fact, I can remember fairly frequently once a month coming into the sanctuary and seeing all the trays for the bread and the cup and thinking to myself, oh, service is going to go long today, right? And I'm going to be really hungry. And I was on the central time for much of my life, which meant if it was football season, there was a good chance I was going to miss the whole first quarter, right? And so when I came in and I saw a sacrament, right, or perhaps as you do a baptism, right, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there's a part of me that thinks all that this is going to do is make everything longer and even more boring than it already is, right? Now, I don't know what you think about the sacraments, but I I do know in in my kind of experience as a pastor over the last decade that, that most people, when they think about the sacraments, the way that they were raised shapes their understanding pretty dramatically. Right? And we are all over the board, really. There are some, like our tradition, the Reformed tradition, that thinks that there are two sacraments, and there are others who think that there are That's exactly right, that there are seven, right? And there are some of those who, when they gather around this place here, when we have the Lord's Supper, they will call this an altar, right? I still hear that from time to time. And there are others, like in our tradition, whether you know it or not, and we call this the Lord's table. That's right, okay? And there are some people who call it communion. There are some people who call it the Lord's Supper, some people who call it breaking bread, and others who call it Nothing. And then others who call it the Eucharist, right? Ah, yeah, yeah, I see. You're remembering this, right? And there are some, right, who think that, when, uh, that you should just stay at your seats when it comes to communion and people should deliver a tray to you. There are others who think, no, 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 I want to walk forward and should dip the bread. And even others, of course, who think, no, we should come forward and we should just put out our hand and a priest or a pastor should put the bread on our hand. And that's the way that Jesus clearly intended it, Right? Uh, And then there are others, of course, when it comes to baptism, who think, okay, well, you know what? When you are baptized, you should be baptized completely. All of you should be immersed, right? Others who think, no, 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 there should just be a a couple sprinkles. And others who say, no, 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 you should be dipped in it, right? And then there are others, of course, who would say, well, no, no, infants need to be baptized and as quickly as possible. And others who would say, by no means should an infant ever be baptized. You should wait until you are an adult, Right? It's exhausting. There are so many options. And not only are there so many options, but people feel pretty passionately about whatever option it is they believe in. Right? When I was in Chicago, I shared this before, the, probably the greatest conflict we had was in whether or not we should do intinction communion, whether or not we should dip bread in cup. There were people who were adamantly against it, and they were furious. In fact, one who was actually a pastor, a retired pastor, he and his wife actually left the church over it. And I know even just personally, Right, that there are that 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 sometimes the sacraments get in the way of things. They can be uncomfortable. Uh, my own family. There are many in my family, probably most in my family and in Megan's family, who think that infants should not be baptized. And so when we had to tell them that we were going to end, uh, baptize our infant children, it was pretty awkward conversation. Right? And one of the more uncomfortable worship experiences that I have ever been in has been at a worship service where there was communion. It was in Edinburgh at St. Giles Cathedral, right, which is like the mother church of the Presbyterian world. And, and we were gathered, and there was around 25 of us, and we gathered in a circle, and they took the cup, and there was no napkin or anything, and they just began to pass it 
around and you started drinking it. And so I was in a major quandary. I am, I wouldn't say I'm a germaphobe, but I am something of a germaphobe. And so I had to think, do I just pass it on and then people will think I have some kind of unconfessed sin that I didn't want to confess? Do I fake as if I drank it and see if I could fool anybody? Or this is what I ended up doing. Do I look around and see if anyone looks like they're diseased? And if not, then I will just go ahead and drink it. But it was a massive amount of faith, right? And it was incredibly uncomfortable. I still remember exactly where I was. It was so awkward, right? So there's all these kind of different things that come in when it comes to sacraments, right? Maybe that's why we don't talk about them specifically all that much, just in case we know that, uh, you know, you could throw out a firebomb and all of a sudden you've got a bunch of dissent, But it's important, nonetheless, for us to touch on it from time to time and to even perhaps think a little bit more about what makes us reformed in our understanding of the sacraments. That doesn't mean that everyone will agree with what I say or with what the reformed tradition says, but but we at least can talk about it a little bit, right? You guys are already angry. So here's... So let's kind of just look at the sacraments at a whole first, right? This is going to be a little bit more of a kind of a teaching sermon, if you will. But sacraments, uh, first of all, um, they kind of comes from the, a Latin word that's a, out of a, that, from a Greek derivative that basically means mystery, right? That the sacraments are a mystery, which I really like um, because in kind of a, a highly rational, logical world that thinks that faith should be, you know, should be like this, 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 there's something important about still having some kind of mystery, right? And there's a, there's a mystery in the the cup. There's mystery in the, what happens in the bread. There's mystery in the water, right? And I, I really like that quite a bit. Um, I think that there's, that there's something I would say kind of significant in that. But not only is there this kind of mystery, there is, this is what Augustine calls it. It's probably the most famous definition of the sacraments, which is that it's an invisible, or it's a visible sign of an invisible grace, a visible sign of an invisible grace. In other words, there's something physical that we're seeing that represents something bigger than what we are actually, than, than what we see in just kind of breaking of bread. And what I like about that is that it reminds us that matter matters. Yeah. So matter matters. Oftentimes, when it comes to spiritual things, we just think it's all this kind of ethereal kind of out there. But one of the things that sacraments do is they remind us that texture matters, that God's creation matters, that it can help us to grow in our faith. That one, of the, one of the hard things about a reformed tradition like ours is who puts so much emphasis on preaching, not all traditions do that, who puts such an emphasis on preaching, which is great— is that that's all kind of mind to mind, and you don't touch it, you don't hear it. Well, you, you hear it, hopefully, um, but you don't smell it, right? You don't taste it. And one of the great things about the sacraments is that they allow all of us to kind of be a part of it, right? And our faith is supposed to be about all of us, not just certain segments of our bodies. And so one of the beautiful things about that, then, is there's a sense of the physical nature of our faith. But one of the other things, before we get to baptism, that I really like about the sacraments is that they are asking us to participate in 
Christ. So that when we are baptized or when we see the water, either we feel it on ourselves or we see it in somebody else, we kind of get a sense of the grace of Jesus. We're reminded of the grace of Jesus. And whenever it is that we take of the bread and that we drink of the cup, we are kind of taking and eating of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's something that we do externally and internally. And the reason why that's significant is because then it helps us when we go out into the real world world, as we oftentimes talk about, and bring what we're doing here out there in ways that a mere sermon cannot do. So here's what, I, here's what I mean. Sometimes when it comes to the sacraments, we think it needs to be something very emotional, right? And for some people, they are very emotional, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But the sacraments are actually meant to shape us, not just to get us excited, right? So, so one of the things that happened, right? So let me bring this up. Harry Potter. Um, now, I know that not everybody likes Harry Potter, and some people think that, you know what, well, we shouldn't be reading Harry Potter. Well, I read Harry Potter um, just to see what was happening. I loved it. It was very interesting, right? But here's one of the things I noticed, uh, and maybe if you read Harry Potter, you know this, this as well, or something else, that I would become engrossed in the story, right? I mean, I would become engrossed in this world. And what would happen is when I went out into the real world, I brought some of that with me. So that if we walk by somebody who looked a little bit odd, I would think to myself, I wonder if he's a wizard, right? Or or I would go, and if I saw a brick wall, I would say, I wonder if I were to go like this, would Diagon Alley all of a sudden open up, right? Or or, or, or I would sit there, and and the remote control would be all the way over on the coffee table, and I would say, Akio, remote control, in hopes that it would come over to me, right? The, The point is, is that this story that I was engrossed in when I went out into the other story, into the real world, all of a sudden I was bringing some of that with me, right? You guys are looking at me like I'm weird, but that's, you did it too, all right? One of the joys of the sacraments, one of the hopes is that the more times that we see baptism, the more time that we eat and drink of this, that we bring that out so that when after worship today, if you go to Olive Garden and they bring out breadsticks and you begin to break the breadstick, what happens? The more times that you've been able to experience the breaking of bread here is that you begin to remember what we did in here and you remember the grace of God, right? Or when you turn on the shower or when you get a drink of water or when you pass a river, whenever you do those things, you've seen baptisms enough, you've heard the water, maybe you felt the water, and you are reminded that you have been baptized and what that means for you. So the more times that we do this and experience this and allow it to shape us, the more it changes us as we go out into the world. Does that make sense? I think that's one of the beautiful things about a sacrament that I didn't get. I just thought this is boring when I was a kid and even a young adult, right? But the reality is it's okay for it to be boring. What's most significant is that it shapes who we are as we go out into the world. So let's look at baptism briefly here. What what does baptism do? Well, one of the things, of course, is that baptism uses water, right? We've got some water here. Baptism uses water. Water, And that's significant because we believe that baptism shows us what God has done in this world through Jesus Christ. And one of the things that's been pointed out is that water brackets and fills who Jesus was when he was here on earth. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when Jesus first appeared on the earth, where was he? He was in the womb, and the womb is full of water. 
And where did Jesus begin his ministry? What did his ministry? We believe that his ministry began when he was baptized in the Jordan, which is water. You guys are good. And when he first calls his disciples, where are those first disciples? Where are they? They're out in the sea, right? And Jesus' first miracle is what? Turning what into wine? Uh-huh, see? And his healings, right? He heals a paralyzed man, right, when he's sitting by a pool. He heals a blind man by spitting in a piece of dirt, right? He walks on, right? He calms the seas of the storm. He washes his disciples' feet with. When he's up on the cross, he asks for you weren't too sure of that. He asked for water. That's exactly right. And whenever he's, one of the times that he reveals himself, that he's been resurrected to the disciples, they are out fishing in water. You guys are good. Yes, water, water, water. I don't know if you've thought about that, but there's a great significance for the fact that we use water because, of course, God, Jesus, was always working through water. There's just something about water that is so kind of, that's so prevalent in his ministry. And so we use that as a part of thinking about what Jesus has done to us and within us and for us, right? And one of the ways that that we talk about this is that it's an initiation. A, it's an initiation into the faith, right? Into the faith that we say that through these waters, we, we have been washed by God's grace and love. That's one of the reasons why we don't, we do some immersions here, not very many, but, but it's one of the reasons why whenever, um, whenever I do a baptism of a child, oftentimes people will be like, oh, that's so much water. Why are you doing that? Well, because I know that if water represents grace, that most of us need a lot of, which means we need a lot of water. Right? I don't really like just kind of doing a couple little sprinkles here or there. Right? It still works. It's still significant. But I think for the symbolism, I want there to be as much water as is somewhat possible without ruining the floor. Right? And so that's what we do. Right? We try to use as much water as possible because it's the sign of the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. Right? So we have been initiated into that. Right? We are given a new identity. This goes back to what we talked about last week. If you weren't here, we talked about the fact that who who we are is not what we do or where we live or what color we are or what last name we have. It is that we are loved children of God, first and foremost. That is at the core of our identity. It is who we are. And so we remember in the waters of baptism our identity, right? It's a part of the reason, right? We've said this before, that we, when we baptism, we don't use last names. I use the first name and the middle name. Why? Because now our last name is attached to who God is, not what family we were born or not born into. So it's a shaping of our identity. But it's also an initiation, not just into the faith, but into a community, into a body, right? This is why 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that we are a part of, that we are baptized into one body, where there is neither Jew or Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, that we are one body, right? And so when we, that's part of the reason why, after a baptism, what do we do? We have the child or the adult come down here, and then everybody comes and 
welcomes them into the body, right? We don't just do that to feel good. We don't just do this for this or that reason, or it helps to kind of, you know, alleviate the kind of the, you know, you know everyone trying to rush out real quickly. No, we do it so that people will know that they are welcomed into this body. And then we ask all of you a question in the baptism, right? Right? Don't just do that to time fill. We do it because we believe that all of us then have responsibility for those children, right? John Calvin was not a big proponent of godparents. And the reason for that is not because he didn't think it was good if a couple of adults really poured into a child. It's because he thought the whole community was supposed to be poured into the child. That's why he has the significance on the community that we see in the waters of baptism. So now, let me just do a quick aside. Why then do we in the Reformed tradition baptize infants, right? I had to think through this a lot before I had the aforementioned conversations with my family and with Megan's family. And, and clearly, it's great to have an adult baptism. There's no question, right? You see the repent and be baptized, and that's beautiful. But a part of the reason why we, infant, we, we baptize infants is because of the fact that in the New Testament, it says that they baptize their whole their entire households. And for many of us, of course, back then, think about it, they were living multi-generationally in their families, which probably means there's a significant chance that they were baptizing then grandpa, mom, and children, right? And one of the beautiful things, and this is not new to many of you who have been here um, with some regularity, one of the great things about that is that, first of all, it's a sign of the reality that God initiates the relationship with us. Well before the baby can kind of reach up and try to grab onto God, well before any of us can do that, that God kind of reaches down first. The second thing it does is it helps us to see that baptism is the beginning of a journey. I have seen many as adults who have been baptized and who have thought, I'm good. I'm going to heaven now. I can just coast, right? But baptism is an initiation. It is the beginning, right? But the third thing it seems to me, this is what I love, is it is a stark reminder to the fact that children have something to teach us. Right? We talk about this because it is so significant. Yes, we have something to teach them, but our baptized children have much to teach us for those who are paying attention. I would suggest our baptized children, um, um, Megan and I's daughters, that, we, that they teach us things all the time. Our three-year-old baptized child, Winnie, she teaches us a lot of things. Some things of God, some things of Satan, I'm fairly sure, but many things of God, right? And what, just thinking about even just in the last week, right? Me, she was there with Megan, with her mom, and, and, and they were talking, and, and, and Winnie was so excited to tell her mom, you know, that, that, that God appeared in a burning bush, you know, in front of Moses. And then she said, you know, well, well, did, did that burn God? Did God get burned? And I thought, well, that's a, a, it's a great question. But B, it's this great reminder of how real faith is for their children. And it's a challenge to ask me, is my faith nearly as real as it is for my three-year-olds, right? Or even as we were driving the other day, just she and I, we were driving and she's looking out the window as she's apt to do. And, and, and so we were talking and she goes, I wonder if I can see Jesus's legs and feet. She's picturing him, right, kind of sitting on a cloud, much like she would do if she could, and just seeing his legs and feet dangle. And I thought, how 
great would it be if all of us, as we were driving around or walking around, were looking for Jesus like this three-year-old is looking for Jesus? Right? Our baptized children, sons and daughters, our covenant children, have much to teach us. Amen? There is no longer great Greek nor Jew. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer old or young. We are one body together. And of course, the Lord's Supper or communion or breaking bread or the Eucharist, it also stresses quite strongly the importance of the community. This is what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11 is that they're taking in communion, but by and large, they're taking it and they're just keeping it to themselves. They're having their own separate meals and nothing has actually changed. And what Richard Hayes points out is that what the death and the resurrection of Jesus is supposed to show is that we have changed how we understand others. And yet, this Corinthian church, it seemed, it did not change them. They were, in fact, in some ways mocking even the death of Jesus because they're eating of the bread and you're drinking of the cup, and yet nothing in their life has changed. So one of the things, of course, that this does is it reminds us again that we are one body. We use, typically, at least symbolically, we use one loaf of bread to remind us that we are one body. Someone has said that it's much like the little individual grains that make up bread, that we are the individual grains that make up the one loaf, the one body of Christ. And, of course, it also points to the reality of the suffering of Jesus, that we we think about it internally, we digest it, we see it externally. And we talked about a couple weeks ago about the significance of forgiveness and how oftentimes in forgiveness there is pain, right? And so there's a sense of our being able to experience that. Uh, But another way for us to look at this communion, and I want to do this just so you see, is is perhaps this will be helpful for you as you think about communion in the days ahead. It's it's what's called a fourfold pattern. You don't have to remember that, but it's something that we say each time we do communion. You've probably heard it, but what I will say, or Scott will say, is Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. See, the the verbs there that we're talking about is taking, blessing, breaking, and giving. And what Eugene Peterson has pointed out is that not only is Jesus doing that with the bread, but that Jesus has actually done that with each and every one of us. What he says is that Jesus takes us just as we are. He takes us, he takes whatever it is that we bring, and he takes it just as we are. But then he offers us up to his Father in heaven, not after inspecting us and making sure that there are no flaws, but just as we are, he, 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 with thanksgiving, he offers us to God. And then he says, we are broken. Now that doesn't sound exciting or good, but this is not a breaking that harms us. It is a, a breaking away from that which does harm us, right? In other words, again, as we said last week, breaking away from the sense that our identity is wrapped up in what job we have or anything other than 
the fact that we are loved by God. It's breaking away from that. It's breaking away from the whisper of the serpents that we've talked about that say all kinds of things about where your worth is or your value is or what's most important and says, no, 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 what's most important is loving God and loving neighbor, that there's a breaking. But then there's also a blessing. And that Jesus always gives back with abundant generosity so that we are so much more than we would have been before. This is, he, uh, Peterson talks about the, the story of, of the five loaves and two fish and how at the end of that, there are 12 baskets full. And that when we offer ourselves up to God in communion, when Jesus takes us, when he blesses us, when he breaks us, and then when he gives back, that we are so much more than we would ever have been, either A, on our own, or B, as a body. Take, bless, break, and give. There is one more thing that I think is, is, is incredibly significant as I kind of go at this with the fire hose, but I... I don't want to end without telling you this because for me, and I mentioned this a little bit at the all-church retreat, for me, this has been one of the most significant parts of my adulthood and my appreciation of the sacrament. And I was thinking about this, and as I was thinking about it, I was reminded of something that happened a year ago. It was last October. And we went, um, my sister and my father and I, we were in uh, the St. Louis area and all along um, eastern Missouri, or as they would say, eastern Missouri. And we were there kind of celebrating my father's 70th birthday. So we wanted to see, this is where he was from. So we wanted to see where he's from, where he grew up, things like that. And as a part of that, one day, uh, we decided that we were going to go visit um, a cousin of mine. We are going to go have dinner with her. I don't know her very well. Her name is Jane. I don't know her. My dad, I don't think, really knows her that well either. My sister doesn't know her that well either. And we had never met her husband, whose name is Jim. And so, um, and so we said, okay, this will be great. So we started getting there. And before we got there, my dad said, you know, I don't like coming empty-handed. So why don't we stop off? Let's get, let's get, let's get a bottle of wine or something. So, so we stopped off. And as, you, as we've talked about before, my father um, um, is something of a cheapskate. And so I knew that we weren't going to get a really good wine, but, and we didn't, and, and we didn't get two buck chuck either. We got something kind of, I would say kind of a lower middle class uh, in the wine family, if you will. Now we don't know that much about wines. We're like, okay, that should be fine. This is great, right? It's a thought that counts, right? So, so we go and we knock on the door and Jane comes and my father gives her this bottle of wine and, and, and Jane says, oh, that's very kind. Thank you. So gracious. And, you know, she goes back and she kind of puts it someplace on a counter and, you know, so we're, we're looking around we're kind of walking around and, you know, and we're just getting to know her a little bit better and she's giving us a tour. And from the outside, this home would just look kind of run of the mill. But then we turned a corner and we looked at the kitchen and the kitchen was amazing. I mean, this was right out of, you know, home and gardens. I mean, it was immaculate. And I look and I see this big picture. And so I go over and I'm like, huh. And I realize that it's Jane. And, and Jane is actually, uh, she doesn't have any shoes or socks on. And she's in this big vat of grapes. And she's, she's squashing grapes. And we said, well, that's interesting, Jane. She says, oh, yeah. She goes, we have good friends who own a vineyard out in uh, California. We like to go out there. And we wanted to be a part of the wine process. And we thought, Okay. And then I look over and I see this contraption. I had never seen it before. I had no idea what it was. Well, it was this remarkably fancy wine opener, right? And I thought, well, that's cool. And then I look at this glass uh, jar that's right next to it, and it's massive, and it's full of used corks. 
And I'm thinking, huh. And then Jim begins to talk to us, and he begins to talk to us about how his family, this is what they do for fun. They get together, and they do these kind of, you know, they, 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 they put a blindfold on, and they do these taste challenges. But not just to say, can you tell me, you know, from, you know, what kind of wine it is, right, red or white, uh, but, you know, what variety it is, and from whence it hails, and perhaps even, if you're feeling having a good day, what year those particular grapes were harvested. And as we're sitting there and we're listening to that conversation, my sister and my dad and I are looking at each other and looking over at this embarrassingly ordinary bottle of wine and wishing that we could go and just kind of hide it and just walk out because we knew that the only thing they were going to do with that bottle of wine was feed it to their dog if they would even lower themselves to do that. And the point of the story is to remind, and this is what it did for me, it reminded me of the reality, of the beautiful reality that actually in the sacraments, what Jesus wants is to use incredibly ordinary, embarrassingly ordinary elements. We believe strongly that we want water quite frankly, not from the Jordan River and not from some beautiful hot springs or something. We want it to come straight out of the kitchen sink. That we want grape juice, not Welch's, but Kirkland brand from Costco. Right? We, 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 we want the two-buck chuck. We don't want something fancy from France. We don't want bread that's from Italy. We want it from Marsh. And the reason why is because we believe so strongly that what is extraordinary are not these elements, but it's the God and the Spirit who works through those ordinary elements. And the reason why that's important, again, is because of the fact that it is God who works through us and the vast majority of us, all of us, are remarkably ordinary, embarrassingly so. But that should never keep us from wanting to feel the waters of baptism or coming down and taking the bread and drinking of the cup. It is this vivid reminder that God wants to use all of us in extraordinary ways, not because we are perfect or the most talented people in the world, but because we are absolutely ordinary and we are simply open vessels in which the Spirit can work. And as we thought about what we want to do for today, as a visual, as a kind of reminder, it seemed a little empty, if you will, for us to talk about these things and not actually do something with them. And because we do the sacraments or the Lord's Supper with some regularity, we thought, well, maybe we should do something with the water. And so actually what we're going to do today, in just a moment, I'm going to ask Todd and uh, Scott to come up here, and they're going to take these bowls, right? This has, this has water in it. It's just, it's it's not bottled water. I hope that's okay. It came straight from the tap, okay? It is the tap, right? Okay. 
And, and, and Todd's going to be over here, and he's going he's gonna to hold the cup right here, and everybody over here can come over here, and, and I will hold it in the middle right here, and, and you guys from both these sides, you can come in and just return however you want. And Scott will be over here with the water. But, 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 but what I also want you to know is I want you to come, and if you've been baptized, then you can remember your baptism in that. If you haven't been baptized, you can, be, you can, be, you can remember how Jesus has worked through water. And as you're getting it, here's what I want them to say to you. That you have been created beautifully ordinary by a God who loves you. Now, I was going to say by a God who loves you in an extraordinary way, but then it got a little bit lengthy. But you can put that, you can finish off whatever it is they're going to say. But I want you to know, and I want you to just touch the water. And as you come down and as you touch this water, I want you to remember that the Spirit of God works through the water as he works through the bread and as he works through the cup and exactly as he works through you. You who are created beautifully ordinary by a God who loves you in an incredible way. And so Todd and Scott, if you'll come up, and as soon as they are positioned, if you would please come forward and In that, let's say a prayer. God, we give you praise for the ways in which you work through this incredibly ordinary water. We thank you, Jesus, that you show yourself to us, not just emotionally, not just spiritually, but even physically. May those who come here today and feel of this water be reminded that their identity is in being a loved child of yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.